Well, welcome back to the Building Peace Initiative. This is John Van Bladel at youwantapeaceofmeonline.com. Uh, this week, we're going to be continuing with empathy, and our podcast today is Empaths? With a question mark. And once again, I'll be inviting the bell of mindfulness occasionally to slow me down a bit and let what I have have time to be considered. When you hear it, just take three normal breaths in and out, and then we will continue. And remember to try applying mindfulness to your daily lives. There's a list of meditation exercises I've posted on the Building Peace Initiative website. Uh, they're really helpful. So, what or who is an empath? Do they even exist? Uh, the term has achieved pop culture status to a degree, but that does not mean we can't consider it seriously. It one day may even make it into the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual 5, and that would be tragic. Um, it would be more appropriate to see empathy deficit disorder become a diagnosis, as a lack of empathy creates a whole lot of problems in our world. So, can having too much empathy cause difficulties? Oh, sure it can. Empaths are highly attuned to other people's moods and tend to sponge up or absorb their emotions. And this can be very difficult to experience and overwhelming to the point where you just have to avoid being around other people. Now, if you were told you were too sensitive as a kid and or recently heard the same thing, maybe that you needed to get tougher or ignore some of the things going on around you, you may simply have a high degree of empathy. Now, it's tragic that high levels of empathy are often seen as a flaw. It's not the flaw of the individual. It's our culture that's flawed. We should be asking the question, how did we create a culture where empathy is a liability, and how can we change that distorted perception of reality? Now, empaths can suffer from a lot of anxiety and depression uh, for any number of reasons. The first is that they're going to feel a lot more uh, intense and often difficult emotions than most. Second, there's likely no one around, or there was likely no one around when they were a child to validate them and help them learn to handle their capacity for empathy. Third, they're often viewed as outside of the norm and flawed in a world that does not value empathy. In fact, they may have been stigmatized. Uh, another issue is they can become targets for bullies who misconstrue their empathy as weakness. The irony is that these empaths, these deeply connected individuals, over time can become less connected from those around them. They can start to feel isolated. Now this puts them in a double bind. This is where things get really complicated. They want emotional connection, but often cannot find the depth in people around them that they seek. This leads them to believe something's wrong with them, and they can end up denying their feelings and needs, and anxiety, despair, and depression are common outcomes. Worse yet, they may end up in relationships with narcissists. Now, that's a label, and but there's quite a bit of writing in this area. Uh, gaslighting, another common term, becomes one of the cornerstones of these relationships. And being in a relationship with a narcissist, someone who devoid, who's devoid of empathy, for those of you who have experienced it, is a soul-draining experience that can make one question their own sanity. Hence the term associated with the original movie, gaslighting. Now, check out the movie sometime. Maybe if you suspect someone's a narcissist, you can have them sit with you and see if they smile and think the movie's entertaining in a 
maybe sadistic way. I know I'm being kind of rough on narcissists. I shouldn't do that, but we know some of my personal issues with uh, that particular group of people. So since you have high levels of empathy, if you are in a relationship with someone who's highly narcissistic, you're going to continue to try to understand and provide support for them, usually to no avail, considering it as a personal failure if you're not able to make them happy. Gee, if only you were a better person, they would be happy. It's a Machiavellian trap that we fall into sometimes. And uh, I did a little research on Machiavellians. I hadn't looked at them in a while, but I also came up, they also came up with something called the Dark Triad, which is Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathology. Um, things to consider. Now, let's see. Oh, we're going to invite the bell a little bit so we can move on and get away from the Machiavellians. I'm almost calm today, which is nice. The bell is getting uh, <clears throat> invited gently. I also have the two cats within a three-square-foot area of me because that's what cats do, huh? Right, a common experience... <clears throat> Sorry about that. I also have uh, allergies. A common experience, which really help when you have two cats right next to you. A common experience for empaths... I feel like that's Monty Python. I keep inviting it, you know, repeating the same thing as they were rushing the castle there. A common experience for empaths is becoming overwhelmed by feelings or emotions. Now, as an example, earlier this semester in my lifespan development class, we were talking about Romanian orphanages and the studies that came out of them on the effects of neglect. Now, there's a wonderful 12-minute clip on Isidore Ruckel that you can find on YouTube. He was a child who was luck lucky enough to be adopted from the orphanage and removed from the terrible conditions there. Um, the video always elicits a good amount of feeling from the class and from me. Um, some feel the fear and despair of those children. Several, several became tearful, which is a normal response. Now, empaths would more deeply feel the suffering of the orphans, and those feelings would not dissipate so quickly. They'd carry the feelings experienced by the children with them for a longer period of time. And this can also have a cumulative effect. Now, here's an example. Uh, during the clip, which I've seen dozens of times, my mind drifted to the children that were held in detention centers after being forcibly separated from their families by ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I'm also aware that some may never recover from the experience and have a lifetime of PTSD to deal with. Now, it's really uncomfortable to actually consider to put yourselves in the shoes of what those children and families endured. The fear, the uncertainty, the helplessness, the loss of their futures. <clears throat> uh, next, my mind drifted to the people in Ukraine being bombed relentlessly by Russia and what it must be like to have that constant fear, the loss, the stress, with a cold winter coming on and little sign of war ending. It feels unbearable. As I'm doing this podcast, the thought that there could be a missile targeting me at any moment is incredibly distressing, and I know people are living with that apprehension daily. It's depressing, to say the least. And there's a never-ending list of things I could mention, but I won't, because I think you get the point. Now, um, <clears throat> over winter breaks, which everyone always says, Oh, what did you do over your break? It's like, well, I prepared for the next semester. <laughs> um, 
I used to pick up documentaries when Hollywood and Black... <laughs> no, I almost talked about our old uh, system that we used to use at school before we changed over. And Blockbuster used to exist. I used to wander through and find these great documentaries like Children of Sudan, Born into Brothels, which is a little bit uplifting, at least in my perception. Um, just all these terrible things about, oh, yeah, sometime in April, you know, terrible stories about genocide and stuff. And I realized I have to stop watching all these things because they were really getting me depressed and have a three-to-one ratio for every one uh, difficult documentary. You'd watch a couple of comedies. But what happens is when you have all these awful things going on in your mind and you really can't process them, you recognize that these tragedies never needed to happen, you know, one of the things I become most angry about is the unnecessary suffering we inflict on each other. And there is so much unnecessary suffering. If you feel like there's nothing you can do about it, despair can be a result. Because you just feel as though there's not much you can do. And if this lingers, you can easily wind up anxious, depressed. Uh, so I just want to mention here again that empaths are very susceptible to emotional overload. Now, coming back to the present, uh, a more subtle form of stress is crowds in the holiday season. Uh, the increased stress, anxiety, and general irritability of people around us can be contagious. Mental contagion, it's called, but it's more so for empaths, especially if you're in a position like retail, where you can't easily escape people who are exuding lots of emotion and energy. Now, empaths are absorbing a lot of stress in these situations for long periods of time, with little or no chance for a break or to sort of process out all these types of feelings. Now, if you could take a moment to imagine what a good healthcare practitioner with high levels of empathy has experienced over the pandemic, uh, it's really hard to comprehend. And I would give them all a year of free therapy and a month at a resort to unwind, but they'd probably end up feeling guilty about it. Uh, let's see, or maybe not. Let's give it a try and see how it works. Uh, toxic people, we hear that term often, uh, is used, you know, to basically define people who are irritating to us, but it's also a label that divides us. What happens is, like most labels, which I sort of did earlier with the narcissists, uh, we judge them and we stop listening. Now, we all have toxic moments, and I would re redefine this rather than toxic people as people who are struggling and caught in a cycle of negative thinking and behaving. Now, if we can slow our minds and bodies down a bit, where is where mindfulness comes in, we don't have to get caught in a cycle of being consistently overwhelmed by people that, or situations that we would call toxic. So rather than being pulled along with the emotional state of others, we can remember nonviolent communication in Rosenberg. We can slow our body down a bit, get us out of fight flight, and consider that perhaps these toxic people have needs that aren't getting met. Maybe they've not yet learned to identify them and communicate them, or they may just be in situations where people will not acknowledge or consciously choose not to acknowledge their needs. And that happens in a lot of workplaces and relationships. There's entire groups of people like this. So when we engage our thinking, it can reduce the intensities of emotions that we are experiencing. And that's why I gave you this example. 
However, a constant stream of suffering and drama is particularly hard on empaths. So learning to set boundaries is important. This can include physical boundaries, actually limiting contact with people who stress you out. And then there are also emotional boundaries, like setting limits in interactions with people so we don't become repositories for other people's issues and emotions. Now, once again, this requires listening to our minds and our bodies. I would say our bodies first, um, because if we find ourselves feeling physically uncomfortable, say muscle tension, um, we feel it in our necks, our backs sometimes, sometimes we'll be clasping our fist, or emotionally uncomfortable, maybe we're getting irritable, angry in a conversation, or just bored, it's time to change the direction of the conversation. Or you can grasp your cell phone and say, you have to take this call because you've been waiting for it all day. And super important is you have to find someone who can offer you empathy. Now, you may find this hard to do initially because some of us have trouble accepting what we offer. And this is where meta meditations or other meditations and readings on self-compassion can be helpful. Now, you deserve the same empathy and compassion that you offer others. In fact, you need to do this to avoid empathy, compassion fatigue, and generally being unhappy. Oh, hold on a minute. I'm going to have a sip of my perfect cup of tea, which is nice when you actually make a super good one. Okay, now there was an article from Psychology Today that showed up on the internet in March of 2017 titled, Compassion is Better Than Empathy. Neuroscience Explains Why. Now the article makes several good points and is certainly worth uh, a read. One point is that compassion is the idea of sharing in suffering, having concern for another, but essentially feeling for and not feeling with the other. It's an interesting statement. Uh, they address not getting lost in another suffering, and that makes a lot of sense, but it's also not so simple. It can be hard to determine exactly where the point of getting lost is. Now, I'll give you an example. One of my cats, Asher, has developed um, had developed FIP. Um, you can look that one up. It's a terrible disease. And I have a strong emotional attachment to him. As he sits here, I'll reach over and pet him every now and then. For any of you who know about the treatment, it's 84 consecutive days of injections that are painful as the medication stings. Now, it was really tough to take him for his shots and tough for us to give them to him. Complicating it is it's like Dallas Buyers Club here and that it's not a sanctioned thing in the U.S. yet, so you have to go through underground um, mechanisms to get the medication. We had to find people to assist us. And I was so anxious and upset as he meowed in his carrier in the car. And I took him to receive um, the injections. It was just literally unbearable. Now, it occurred to me pretty quickly that I was getting lost in both his and my suffering. And I just determined I needed to be solid and as calm as possible for the cat. Because if I got lost in my suffering, I would be of little help to him or myself, and it's going to rob me of my sleep and slowly erode my stability. He would pick up on it and would just make the situation worse, upsetting him further. So I'm putting my, you know, my myself in the paws of a cat and 
experiencing how scary and fearful this must be for him. Um, but it, I had to stop it at a certain point, otherwise I'd become non-functional. There was nothing I could do to remove his immediate suffering, which was necessary to prevent more suffering and eventually death, but I still felt responsible for his suffering on some level. So I had to shift my thinking and practice mindfulness to calm my body, change my cognition so I could be present for him in a helpful way. You know, I hope this example made sense to you. I mean, I probably should have picked a person, but sometimes the closest people you have are pets sometimes, right? At least at the moment, as he sits right here. So back to the article I referenced, compassion is better than empathy. Personally and professionally, I'm going to use a deeper voice so you'll know this is important. I believe the title of the article is misleading, that empathy and compassion are interdependent. One can't exist without the other. Uh, I think it would be hard to be cognitively compassionate without having empathy as the driving force. Now, we may be able to cognitively say, I think this situation calls for compassion, but it's likely the experience of empathy that begins the process. When we start to get too cerebral about empathy, we lose something. As Aristotle has said, educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. So ironically, one of the people referenced in the article, Tanea Singer, a leading researcher on empathy, is apparently pretty mean to her colleagues. Um, I'll post the site uh, from sciencemag.org uh, that has the article. Um, she's apparently a bully who intimidates her employees. It states her researchers, all but one of whom insisted on remaining anonymous because they feared for their careers, um, describe a group gripped by fear of their own boss. Whenever anyone had a meeting with her, there was at least an even chance they'd come out in tears, one colleague would say. Um, so what do we learn from this? Um, well, she took a one-year sabbatical, actually, and maybe to work on developing empathy. Maybe she developed empathy fatigue from studying it. But what we learn from this is, again, you can get into your own head and understand something, but the experience of it is different, Okay. Um, so, if you want some really hopeful information, take a look at um, Stanford University. They have a study of altruism and compassion. God, I wish the internet was around when I was a kid. I can't imagine where I would have ended up. One thing for sure, I would have spent a year at least with uh, Earthships and Michael Reynolds. And no, that's not Space Force. as touted by the U.S. government. Um, but just, uh, they make sustainable buildings. Check that out sometime. So back to empaths. Empaths? I suspect that they have an intuitive understanding of the concept of interdependence. That is, your suffering is my suffering. Uh, that to cause you suffering causes me suffering. Now, in some circles, this has been pathologized as codependence. Um, but I think if empaths were validated from a young age and people were raised to see their talent as a strength, they would be more likely to develop an informed assertive empathy where, where they would be confident and more comfortable in their abilities. So instead of feeling guilty about being too soft and needy or having emotional awareness beyond what people around them have, they'd feel much differently um, if some of us were attuned to them and would validate how they're feeling. 
uh, if we had people who were able to be fully present and listen with the express intent of understanding their needs rather than judging and labeling, things take a turn for the better. And again, this is where nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg comes in. So for those of you who have too much empathy, maybe you can work to turn it down a little bit. Try not to absorb others' feelings to the point where you get anxious and or depressed or fall into despair. So what I'm really talking about is setting a boundary or a limit so you don't take in too much uh, from other people. Focus your attention on the beauty around you. As I'm planning this podcast, I'm watching a hawk glide around. Uh, if there's a next life, I'd love to come back as one. It just seems like such a sense of freedom to be able to just glide through the air. Sometimes I'm gliding through the air when I'm talking to people who I don't want to talk to. Um, I'll be seeing friends later that I enjoy who understand empathy well. I'm in pretty good health. Uh, it's important to have some balance in your life or you will lose your mind. It's okay to walk away from people sometimes when you find the conversation is detrimental to your mental and physical health. So that's it for today. We'll continue to talk about something related to empathy next time, likely compassion. Um, in the meantime, try some meta meditations, do some readings on self-compassion. Pema Chodron's uh, a Buddhist, and I'll just tell you she's a Buddhist, uh, because for some people that would present maybe a problem, but debutify it, read it, and see if it makes any sense. She does a good job with this sometimes too, but there's a ton of stuff out there that you can take a look at, and I'll list some on the website. Um, Till next time, give yourself some self-compassion and some peace of mind.